Bonnie knows when you plant something, it keeps on giving. Growing from friend to neighbor to community. Generations of gardeners have trusted Bonnie for fresh, healthy vegetable and herb plants. Rely on Bonnie for quality plants, help, and support. Bonnie, gardening with you since 1918. BonniePlants.com You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org, a nonprofit member-supported radio station. We're millions strong, with folks tuning in from over 200 countries. We are education. We are entertainment. We are the future of food. May is our membership drive. Become a member and support us while receiving e-newsletters, advanced invites, special discounts, and a membership card. We need your support. Visit our website and click the donate button to become a member today. Thank you for believing in us and enjoy the show. Welcome, it's Chef Story, and today we're broadcasting from Roberta's in uh, Williamsburg, Brooklyn, Bushwick, really, and uh, we've got a great guest today. It's actually May Day, and uh, I sunny and summery, and so I think we have the perfect guest. Today we have Kenny Callahan from Blue Smoke. Uh, the ultimate barbecue restaurant in New York City, the urban barbecue restaurant in New York City. And um, right before we get to talking about Kenny, I just want to give a heads up to everybody that it is May, and so it's membership month uh, at uh, Heritage Radio Network. And you might be listening to this and thinking, oh, I, I, it's a free station. Well, it's free for you. It isn't free for us. So uh, we're going to ask you to be a member, and it would really help us out here uh, to pay for the coffee, right, Jack? Uh, so we'll talk about that later. But let's get back to the nice day. Let's get back to barbecue and this really uh, fun guest that we have today. So uh, Kenny Callahan um, has really had an interesting um, time becoming one of the ultimate pitmasters. Uh, he started, um, well, we're going to get into his uh, early life and how he became a chef, but he, he's a mainstay of the Union Square um, group, hospitality group, and he spent nine years at Union Square Cafe. And then he had, I think, uh, quite a great time going around, probably with Danny Meyer, tasting the best barbecue in the United States. And with those people's level of perfection and authenticity, he's managed to bring to us New Yorkers uh, some of the best barbecue we can ever eat. And not only that, um, he opened Blue Smoke and Jazz Standard and has been perfecting his craft there. But he is one hell of a guy because he, he's the co-founder of the Big Apple Barbecue Block Party, which is going to take place this June 8th and 9th. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But welcome, Kenny. Thank you, Dorothy. Pleasure to be here. I mean, I'm talking to the guy who uh, you were voted best barbecue by Time Out New York and uh, one of New York Magazine's favorite restaurants, top 100 restaurants. So 
Let me ask how a boy from New Jersey becomes a pit master. Let me, where did, did you start eating barbecue out in New Jersey? You know what? Um, my parents used to drive to Florida every year. <laughs> really? I was one of those kids in the back seat without a seatbelt. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, on a, on a, on a 1,200-mile, uh, you know, journey. Um, so and, uh, where my, would you stop along the way? Uh, just these roadside places. I don't even really remember them, uh, you know, because I was so young and it was, you know, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And uh, you know, my was father, it a station wagon, by the way? Oh, with the paneling on the side. <laughs> <laughs> you betcha. <laughs> Wouldn't have it any other way. Mm-hmm. Um, and my father was, uh, you know, a fan of barbecue. Um, so you know, we'd wind up in these in these places. So I was eating it at a young age. Um, I was actually born in New York City, um, and then my parents moved out to New Jersey um, when I was like uh, three, three and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, once I kind of, you know, so we were we were going down to Florida and then we stopped going down to Florida. And then so I, I still had this love of like ribs and, you know, pork and pulled pork. And, you know, so from then on, I was going to, you know, the chilies and the Applebee's of the world. And uh, if it was some kind of steamed rib with oh. some liquid oh. smoke in it and some sweet barbecue sauce and the ribs were falling off the bone, you know. It was it was edible, so you know. I mean, I was still a kid, <laughs> yeah, right? Know, I didn't have that many options, yeah, you know? <laughs> right? You had, you had memories, brought right. back memories, exactly. Taste so, memories. so, oh, that's that's really that's uh, neat. Did you did you eat barbecue when you were in Florida as well? Because they have some really good barbecue down in Florida. I've had, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of hazy. You know, I was yeah. younger. You know, yeah. um, so it so, was just going through the Carolinas, yeah, the Carolinas Georgia. to Georgia. You know, right. Um, and then once we got to Florida, I was probably at the beach, and who right. knows if I ate it all right. a week. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so did you always want to be a chef? Um, interestingly enough, no. Um, I started out, uh, I wanted a job. I was 14 years old, and uh, my brother knew a guy that worked in the local pizzeria. And I started... Uh, Started, you know, at fourteen, which I don't even think I don't even think it's legal to work uh, at age fourteen. But I was working at fourteen and uh, washing dishes and making pizza dough, and I did that for a couple years. Um, How did they make the dough back then? Um, with a with a Hobart and yeah. uh, you know flour, water, yeast, salt, sugar. Was it a decent dough? <laughs> it was all right. The pizzeria is still there under the same name. <laughs> okay. I know the owner still. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so it's it's been there. Uh, it's been there a good thirty years. Um, they ever let you try to f- throw it in the air? Oh and- yeah, no. I, I I started making pizza later on in life, but uh, but um, so anyway, I, and I was working. I was I graduated into you know into the kitchen, working as a cook there, making chicken parm, veal parm, you know, sandwiches, stuff like that. And uh, it was only me and my brother. And my mother bullied me into a guidance counselor's office one time. And you know, my brother was older than me, and it had already gone into the navy. And she says. Well, one of you boys has to go to college. And <laughs> since I was the only one left, you know, so I mean, literally within an hour's time, it was me, her and some guidance counselor. I don't even remember her name. And well, you, you work at that pizzeria. You cook now. Maybe you should go to culinary school. And I was just like, at this point, I just wanted to get out of this guidance counselor's office. <laughs> I, just, I just had to go. You know, it was like, you know, between between my mother, God rest her soul, and, and this guidance counselor, they were just annoying me at this point. Right. And uh, so I said, I agreed to some stuff that, um, 
who knew. So you, you didn't know. want to be an astrophysicist. No, I just I, I just wanted that. to hang around and have a good time. You know, <laughs> at that point, I, I didn't really know where what direction I was headed in. Um, and uh, so next thing you know, I, I wound up I, I wound up applying to CIA uh, up in uh, Hyde Park, New York, in oh. Johnson and Wales, uh-huh. and CIA. Uh, they both accepted me. CIA put me on a nine-month waiting list, and Johnson and Wales accepted me right away. And uh, your mother yeah, wanted you. Out my of mother house. wanted me uh, to go to Johnson and Wales, <laughs> coincidentally. <laughs> so uh, went up to Providence, and it was a it was an interesting experience. Um, the way the way those two schools work, CIA they start you off with, uh, "Hey, here's your knife, and here's how you hold a knife. Here's how you sharpen a knife. Here's how you." Chop a vegetable. Here's how you cut a carrot. Here's how you do a brunoise. Here's how you do a julienne. And uh, in Johnson Wells, it's just totally different. It's just how do they start? They throw you in the middle of the curriculum wherever you wind up. So I literally had sauce and skills was be would be where you would you'd start. That's where you get your knife kit in CIA or at Johnson Wells or whatever. And um, I wound up having that like towards the end of the year. So my first class was uh, AM Cafeteria at McNulty Hall in Providence, Rhode Island. And McNulty was uh, uh, the largest dorm in downtown Providence. And it was, uh, my first class was cooking uh, breakfast and lunch for 1,200 people. At Your the, first class? And I had to be there at 4.30 a.m. in the morning. So what, what did a, they have you doing What a shock day? that was, I will have you know. Uh, literally, the, uh, the first day... Um, the the you know they give us the menu they give us our knife kit I didn't even have a knife at that point they give us our knife kit they give us the menu for the day and they start breaking us up into groups so you're gonna handle breakfast you're gonna handle lunch whatnot and so I had to make the uh, the chicken velouté soup for lunch and you know the chef says to me uh, you know he hands me my knives like all right we got to start with a you know we got to make a roux to tighten up the stock and you know thicken the soup whatever I looked and I said. Well, what the hell is a roux? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, needless to say, it was a it was a rocky little start there in Johnson and Wales, but I got the hang of it, and uh, you know, so did you stay there a couple of years. I or? stayed there two years, uh, two years culinary, and then uh, I wanted the extended program, so I did uh, two years business as well. So, oh wow! So then, yeah. and what did you do when you graduated? I uh, graduated in uh, 1988 and uh, went back to uh, now. I was delivering pizza. <laughs> at the same pizzeria, and uh, why was that? You wanted to go back home, or you didn't? No, yeah, I just, home? I just didn't, didn't have a backup plan. So again, not planning. Uh, went home, and I, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll get a job. You know, maybe September, October, whatever. I'm not, I'm not really worried about it. And uh, you know, this is before we had cell phones, mm-hmm. and so I went home, and I was, uh, you know, I was, I was playing guitar too. For you know, I started playing guitar when I was twelve, so I was playing. You know, I get home. I'm partying with all my friends, playing in a rock and roll band. Had a nice, fresh, hot little girlfriend, um, and uh, one, uh, one of the kids from that I was in uh, in college with, a nice Irish kid from Long Island named Tommy. My mother loved him because my mother was right off the boat from from Ireland. So Tommy would come pick me up. We'd go back up to Providence, and then if he was ever coming home, he'd drop me off in Jersey and go out to Long Island pick up. So my mother knew Tommy, and uh, like I said, it was before cell phones and. Tommy calls while I'm out, you know, carousing or whatever one day. He says, yeah, tell Ken I got a job for him in the city. Oh, my and, gosh. Your uh, mother was overjoyed. Oh, my God. I got home and she's like, 
Tommy's got a job for you, and you're calling him right now. <laughs> so uh, I, I said, "Yeah, I'm going to call him after after I eat." And I call him up, and I, you know, I took the uh, I took the cell phone, I took the phone into the other room, and I was just like, "Yeah, don't ever talk to my mother again on the phone." <laughs> <laughs> so where so, was the job? I uh, wound up at the um, the Helmsley Palace Hotel, mm. um, working for Leona Helmsley back in the day when that, her that's and Harry from St. Patrick's Cathedral. Correct. All yes, right. uh, it's now the New York Palace. Um, and uh, that's when Leona and Harry were actually, they would come to the Christmas parties and, and everything. Oh, really? So, yeah. Did she bring the dog? She didn't bring the dog, <laughs> but we knew when she was on 38th Street. We knew when she was on 50th. We knew she was on the first floor. We knew she was on the third floor. Whoa. We were well informed when uh, she was rolling through. Whoa. So, that's okay. quite, it was quite an experience. So, uh, in the hotel there, I worked in. Um, in a bunch of different departments, and this was during the first Gulf War, when I guess uh, Saddam invaded Iraq. Right. I mean uh, Kuwait. Kuwait. And yeah. um, and then uh, so then next thing you know, you know there was a little bit uncertainty and occupancy in the hotel started going down. And then the chef, since he liked me, kept just moving me all over the place to protect me as as long as he could. Because you must have been good. I was good, and I was I was one of the young kids that wanted to be there. You know, it was a union environment, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. sometimes those environments can be tough and maybe non-productive for some. You know, some mm-hmm. of the people that that are in that uh, environment. Yeah. And I was one of the young, hungry kids that uh, that wanted to learn. Right. So he kept moving me around, where I got a lot. You know, a lot of different experience. Uh, banquet. Start off in room service, then went to. Uh, um, uh, the uh, brunch. I was doing brunch by myself. I'd have to be there at five. In you the morning. learned that from the first day at Johnson. You're right, Rails, exactly. Daddy. Believe me, it, it paid off. It yeah. paid off. Um, but even back then, this is in 19. Uh, so this was in 88. We were getting 32.50 for eggs Benedict at the wow. Yeah, that brunch. would be like getting sixty dollars today. I'm right. Sure. Well, we did. We did shave some black truffles on top of ah. there. So <laughs> I guess that's where you justified okay. it. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, he uh, he moved me around. I was doing banquets, everything. Uh, I was in the French kitchen, latrine on. And then finally, he calls me in the office. He's like, I can't protect you any longer. So he laid me off. Um, and and they had already laid off, um, you know, several hundred employees mm. throughout the hotel. Mm. And then I uh, wound up uh, uh, working at the Russian Tea Room for a couple of years. Mm. Um, and then did my time there. And then they... Uh, then they closed. That was, yeah, yeah. And then so uh, I want, took my resume and started running around. I grabbed the Zagat Guide, and uh, I wound up at uh, Union Square Cafe. All right. Well, we're going to take a little break here. And when we come back, that's a story we want to hear. <laughs> something it keeps on giving growing from friend to neighbor to community 
generations of gardeners have trusted Bonnie for fresh, healthy vegetable and herb plants. Rely on Bonnie for quality plants, help, and support. Bonnie, gardening with you since 1918. BonniePlants.com So welcome back. You're listening to Chef's Story, and it's May, and it's membership month. And so, I, you know, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we really have to support this network. If you like this program, and there's some other phenomenal programs, if, you, if you're just looking, you know, go to heritageradionetwork.org. I know you have because that's the way you get this program. But I just love, you know, Jessica Harris's Cities of the World, uh, you know, Examine Food and versus Foodiness. Even, you know, Tom Colicchio's cousin, Philip, has a business show on this uh, radio station. It's so full of stuff you won't hear on commercial radio, and we need your help. So go, go online, become a member, become a fan, tell them you love Chef's Story, you want to keep Dorothy on the air, <laughs> and all the fabulous chefs that come here. So... And today, our chef is Kenny Callahan sorry, from uh, Blue Smoke and Jazz Standard. And we're just getting to the part of the story where he's gone to Union Square Cafe. In those days, I don't think they had the big hospitality group yet. No. It was just that one location. It was just the only, yeah, it was the only location. So tell us, like, what was it, you know, what was it like? Michael Romano was the chef at the time? Michael Romano was the chef, and uh, I kept. Trying to figure out, uh, he scheduled um, the interview with me uh, on Friday afternoon at twelve thirty, and I'm like, "Doesn't this chef need to be in the kitchen at twelve thirty on a Friday?" <laughs> but once I got the job, I realized that he was never in the kitchen on Friday. No, <laughs> but um, so uh, you know, but he had a great crew of uh, of people that run in the show for him, so he's he didn't need to be in the kitchen on Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, uh, you know, I interviewed over there and uh, and got the job, and uh, he had offered What year me, was that? This was uh, 1993, mm-hmm. November 93. And uh, he um, he offered me two different positions. One was a, uh, a PM saute position, and one was a AM uh, hot app position, the pasta station. Mm-hmm. And uh, the I would have had to graduate from the hot app uh, pasta station mm-hmm. to get to saute. So, but I was like, wow. You know, working at the Russian Tea Room, working at a hotel. I worked every uh, holiday, every New Year's Eve, every Thanksgiving, you name it. And I was just like, wow, he's offering me a day job? I was like, uh, you know what? Never really had a day job. Uh, I'll, I'll try the day job. Um, and then, uh, you know, the, the there was one guy that was, uh, he was, they didn't make him a sous chef. He's actually a good buddy of mine. Um, they didn't make him a sous chef, but he was right under a sous chef and he had Monday through Friday was his schedule. And, uh, he was essentially running the kitchen, doing all the order. And his name is Larry Finn. And, um, he, uh, I was like, wow, I want that guy's schedule. I want. And so he had gone through all the stations. The way it goes is you work, you work through, you know, your, your pasta, your saute, your grill. Then you're the tournant. The tournant is the guy that works all the stations on their days off. So you have to be the senior guy that can work any station. Mm-hmm. Then from Tornant, you would normally get uh, uh, promoted to sous chef. Mm-hmm. And then, so they had this interim position called expediter mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Isn't uh, that the person who stands at the pass and watches all the correct, food go out? Correct, correct, correct. Mm-hmm. But that person needs to have 
the street cred and, mm -hmm. the, you know, to be able to tell you, like, this ain't right and right. push it back in your face. So it's got to be the guy that's that's experienced enough to be able to do that. Right. So it's essentially, it was a sous chef. And he had this Monday through Friday schedule. I was like, that's the job I want. <laughs> and then, uh, so I worked through all the stations. And within uh, a year and a half, I got that position. And then next thing you know, Romano made me the sous chef and then the exec sous. And I was the exec, uh, executive sous chef uh, there for probably the last four years I was there. And, uh, you know, at that point, you know, when I started in 93, there was 90 employees. I was one of them. Now they had opened Gramercy. And then from there, they were opening uh, Tabla and 11 Madison after that. And um, Well, before we go there, let me ask you about street cred in the kitchen. Sure. How long does it take someone coming out of school to earn their street cred? I think this is a big issue with chefs today. And kids come out of culinary school or got people adults come out of culinary school and they think they're a chef or you know just because they have a little bit of knowledge how long does it take someone like that to get street cred it, it really it's all about what you can do and how you cook and how you assimilate into the system the reason a lot of chefs and myself included have issues with some people right now is is the level of respect that people come out of culinary school. Mm -hmm. um, I blame the Food Network f uh, mm -hmm. mainly for that because mm -hmm. um, you know, and culinary schools. The culinary schools make you uh, tell the parents that they, you know, it's going to cost you X amount, twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars a year, mm -hmm. and your son could be the next Bobby Flay or Emeril Lagasse, mm -hmm. and is you know, there's really nothing further from the truth. And you know, I learned. The just basic fundamentals in culinary school. And it wasn't until I got to New York, got to the hotel, got to the tea room, and um, and working on the line and cooking day in, day out, mm -hmm. um, where people can trust you and uh, your sous chefs and your managers can trust you. Mm -hmm. And as a line cook, I always had this thing in the back of my head of how can I always help my boss make his job easier? Mm -hmm. And that was by me doing the best I could. So if he had to worry about anybody on the line, he wasn't worried about me. Where did you learn that mentality? Did you learn that in school or was that something inbuilt in you? I don't know. I don't think I learned it in school. It's right. not something that they, yeah, you know, back then in Johnson & Wales, it was somewhat a little bit unorganized, the mm -hmm. curriculum mm -hmm. at the time, mm -hmm. um, compared to what they have now. Now they have facilities that are just, just unbelievable. Mm -hmm. um, and the structure and the curriculum is just way different than it was when I was there. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I think it was just my my hardworking uh, instinct. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you the, don't find any, any of the people coming out of school having similar philosophy oh yeah no no i'm not i'm not saying i'm not creating a broad stroke that nobody's like that but yeah. there are kids that you know you know they'll they'll, I, they'll absolutely they'll, I mean, they'll, but that's you know. across that's across the board even in journalism school or art school or whatever and and i agree with you i think you know i'll tell you, i'll defend the the food network a bit um because i'm much older than you and before there was a food network people didn't you know people couldn't even understand everything that went into making a dish right. i think that there's uh, a lot of good programs on the food network where even even the rachel raised there she's actually getting people to not be afraid to go in their kitchens anymore right. i mean this right. this you know uh, society has come so far from uh, some from fruit so i think it gives people interest 
any young person going to school today has stars in their eyes. And I don't think, you know, I'll defend my fellow schools. We don't say to parents, you're, you're, your kid's going to be Bobby Flay. And quite frankly, you know, we have Andre Sultner and, right, sure. and Ellen Sayak and Jacques mm-hmm. Pen. They beat the kids up. You're not, you know, yeah. <laughs> make an omelet. Make an omelet. Just a simple omelet. They can't do that. So um, I, I agree they come out with big heads, swelled heads. But I'm going to make a statement that that's been going on for hundreds of years when kids get out of school. They think they're better yeah, than they are. Maybe. But if you guys, you know, I think if you can give us some uh, tips on what to say and and when to say it to them before they come out, like at graduation. Um, but even before then, it's that respect, I think, in yeah. the kitchen. And I, and Gordon Ramsay, I have an issue with because he doesn't show respect in no, the kitchen. No. And I can't believe, I just can't believe, that, you know, that he runs his own kitchen. No, there's way. no way to run a kitchen like no. that. It's Are, not. So let's get back to Kenny Gallagher. <laughs> well, I mean, just uh, to your point there, and and I don't want to just hose the food network. I just I just threw that out there. I mean, it's just that perception that um, that that you're you're going to be on TV, and 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 to your point, the food network has done tremendous things with um, you know bolstering what it is to be a chef and and making it uh, making it popular. Because when I started being a chef, it wasn't the most popular thing to do, you know. People criticized the Beard Foundation when they started giving awards. They said, how can you say one chef's better than the other? It's stylistically different. Do you say Picasso's better than Titian or Michelangelo? It's just a different style. So, But look at what the Beard Awards did for chefs. They brought them out from the kitchen saying, this is an art. These are people that are, you know part of our culture that should be celebrated. It's amazing, yeah. So there's good and bad. Yeah, I, yeah. absolutely. But absolutely. I love to mix it up on the show, well, you know? And, you yeah. can't just sit no, there yeah. and, and be a lackey. I, I think uh, to, to <laughs> what, you're, what you're going to tell the young folks and the, and, the, and the people in culinary school, I guess what I guess I can only take from my experience. What I did was I always tried very hard every day, and I always took my job very seriously, even though I could have fun at my job. Mm. Um, and... If I ever made a mistake, I took it personally, mm-hmm. and I marked it to the hard drive, and I never made that mistake again. And and that's what gave you street cred. That's what my question, you know, really started out with. What gives you street cred? And right. it's not having a big head, thinking you're going on the Food Network. What you have to prove your stripes you have to in prove the yourself kitchen along the way. So, how long does it take for someone? Uh, to get to be an expediter, could you do it in two years? It, yeah, I mean, it's I've seen kids come out of culinary school that are just like, whoa, wow, these kids are like so far ahead of where I was. And then there's people that are you know somewhat clueless and should not be in this uh, in this in this industry. Right. Um, so do they get shook out because you're not going to keep them in the kitchen if they can't? Well, we can keep them in the kitchen, and no. and and you know the most important thing for me is to give everybody honest feedback. You right. know, like right away, like hey. Wow, you know, you did this good today, but uh, you got to work on this, this communication, you know, uh, cleanliness, your sanitation, you know, um, and you just kind of tick things off because what we do is we we like to give a lot of feedback right up front um, so that um, they people know where they stand. People want information. People want to know how they're doing. So I would I would imagine you you put as much emphasis as a chef on management style. And oh, absolutely. Sourcing your food, you know, all the food elements. Um, I would think you're a, a benchmark type restaurant on what is that secret management sauce in the kitchen? I'll tell you what, I learned a tremendous amount from Michael Romano. 
Really? Um, what, yeah. what kind of stuff? I mean, he was the one, you know, I came from, you know, two union houses uh, and two different unions. I was in Local 6 and Local 100. Uh, so it was the local, uh, you know, the hotel restaurant union. And then it was the restaurant union at the restaurant tea room. So those were fairly abusive environments. You know, if you were if you were at the Russian Tea Room and you were a waiter, and these waiters were making almost six figures back in the day, you know, they were like, you know, it was an iconic place that, you know, even after the whole dinner rush was gone, Carnegie would let out, and the whole place would fill up at 11 o'clock at night. So these people were, you know, used to making a lot of money, and they'd been there for 20, 30 years. And, uh, you know, if you, if you didn't ask me the right way for your food, I could let your food, your steak sit there and burn in front of you, and I'd walk off the line and go to the bathroom. That's the type of environments I was working in. And then when I got to, uh, you know, to Union Square Cafe, it quickly became apparent to me that this was a much different type of operation. The general manager at the time, now he's one of the managing partners, Paul Bowles Bevan, uh, came from behind the line um, on day two when he had his trench coat on. It was raining out. And he spotted me, spotted a new face in the kitchen, soaking wet with his briefcase and his trench coat came all the way around the line to say hello to me and shake my hand and welcome me and said good luck and he walked away from me and i said what the hell does this guy want from me (laughs) (laughs) it took me about three or four months to realize he was just a really nice guy and just really wanted to welcome me and make me feel welcome and i was just like whoa it was just like a totally different mindset and michael romano taught me that you don't have to be abusive. You have to be respectful. Give people the um, the respect uh, of letting them know how they're doing. Uh, talking to them in a manner that um, that they'll understand. Um, you know, there's times. You know, it's a uh, it's a pretty heavy environment in the kitchen when mm. it gets busy. And you know, Union Square Cafe was, you know, it was the most popular restaurant in Zagat at the time. Uh, so we were getting. We were getting our butts kicked, you know, on a regular basis, uh, which was a good thing because it was always coming. You right. know, it's right. not like it was a uh, it was a shock when right. it came because no. I would, you know, when I was when I was running. Well, you that must place. have done incredibly well to be plucked out of that environment and, in, you know, doing the investment of a whole new restaurant. And we're going to we're going to take a break here and come back and hear all about Blue Smoke. Thank you. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Chef Story, and I'm Dorothy Can Hamilton. And today my guest is Kenny Callahan from Blue Smoke Restaurant in New York City. Extraordinary barbecue. This is a pit master for sure. So, Kenny, how did you become the pit master? Because you're working at Union Square Cafe. I don't remember too many uh, pigs, you know, running through that there restaurant. There's a, there a couple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we're, they're not the animal kind. <laughs> Hey, we can say anything Uh, we want. It's internet radio. Cool. Good to know. (laughs) Um, So uh, I had been there eight and a half years, and um, you know, Danny had uh, he had grown up in uh, in St. Louis, and St. Louis is one of those kind of ancillary uh, barbecue hubs. It's not uh, Memphis. It's not uh, you know the Carolinas. It's not Kansas City. But it's like that next tier of uh, you know barbecue places, uh, barbecue hubs, and there's plenty of bar- good barbecue in St. Louis. Um, so Danny grew up um, eating barbecue, and um, he, had, at this point, was just in the process of opening Tabla and 11 Madison Park, um, right there, Jason from Madison Square Park. And uh, he, he his, his brother had a place, I mean, his cousin, uh, James, had a place up on 27th Street between Park and Lex. And uh, Danny just had this idea of opening up a, bar- a barbecue joint, and um, he they chose me. Him and Michael chose me to to be the guy. Um, you know, I had Union Square Cafe pretty much dialed in, and uh, you know, it was running running smoothly. <laughs> uh, you know, um, so they knew I I knew how to run a kitchen. They knew I knew how to cook. You know, so they knew a lot about me. <laughs> I mean, I had been there for. Eight you and a half years. must have been terrific for them to invest <laughs> in you like this. Yeah. Well, you know what? So da- what happened was uh, Danny had uh, you know sent me on a recon trip, and he had done some recon um, earlier, um, and uh, so he sent me on a recon trip to you know Carolinas, Texas, Kansas City, uh, um, you know Memphis several times, and um, and then it was the trip was let's go see if we can actually do this in New York City because it was kind of really not really done before. Um, you needed an outdoor space to smoke and stuff yeah, like that, right? Yeah, and, and just the, you know, the the fire department, FDNY regulations were, 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 were pretty intense. And so he sent me around. I talked to a lot of people. I cooked with some people. I hung out with some people. Um, and one guy in particular he sent me out to see was uh, Mike Mills. And... Um, Mike was a uh, three-time grand champion at Memphis in May, and for uh, you know for barbecue competitions, there's there's three major ones in the in the uh, in the country. There's the the Jack down in uh, in Tennessee. There's the American Royal in Kansas City, and then like the Super Bowl of barbecue competitions is uh, Memphis in May. And Mike was a three-time grand champion at Memphis in May, and he had a couple places in Southern Illinois. He was branching out to Las Vegas, and. Uh, he was the one that basically showed me um, how to take my fine dining techniques and, you know, use use it to- towards barbecue. I mean, not that he taught me anything about fine dining, but he taught me how to barbecue, essentially, because I had never really done it myself. But since I had been cooking, you know, for, you know, 12 years at this point sure. in, in New York... Uh, you know, you can I, talk shorthand. I could... Uh, yeah, exactly. I, kn- I, I knew the deal, yeah. let's say. Yeah. And... Um, so uh, I was a quick learner um, with him, and you know he had he had he told me one time he's like 
you know, there was a couple people that I try and do this, done this before and mentor and whatnot. He's like, he's like, but nobody got it like you did. And wow, that's something. And it, you know what? It was, it was one of those things where he gave me some advice right away that, uh, you can't, you can't take any shortcuts. You have to actually get in there, get your hands dirty, um, and understand it and do it yourself over and over again because mm-hmm. it's not something you can read in a book. It's mm-hmm. not something that you can um, do once or twice and mm-hmm. be able to get it. So mm-hmm. um, he so he helped me out a lot and then uh, came back to New York and uh, you know met with uh, Danny and Michael and said, uh, let's do this thing. And uh, so then we wound up uh, taking over that space, his cousin's space on uh, 27th Street between Park and Lex. And it was a restaurant called 27 Standard, and then Jazz Standard was in the basement. And um, we closed it, renovated it, and we opened up Blue Smoke upstairs and then reopened Jazz Standard downstairs. So how is Blue Smoke different from the other barbecue joints in the city? Hmm, Interesting question. Um, I guess... uh, well, I guess for, for to begin with, I think um, Blue Smoke was kind of like the first one, uh, and a lot of people saw what we were doing, and uh, and they were like, okay, wow, uh, these guys can do this in New York. Why can't we do it in New York? So I think we kind of blazed the trail a little bit for everybody else. Um, and as you look at uh, not even barbecue restaurants in, in New York, but most barbecue con- uh, restaurants around the country... Um, they're fairly, they're all uh, individual, so like uh, cooking one style of barbecue, for instance. So if you're in Carolina, North Carolina, you're cooking whole hogs. And if you're in Eastern Carolina, you're putting, you know, the uh, vinegar sauce on it. If you're in South Carolina, you're putting the mustard-based sauce on it. If you're in Texas, sometimes you don't even want sauce. And, you know, they're all like, you know, in Texas, they're cooking beef. In uh, Carolinas, they're cooking hogs. In Kansas City, they're cooking brisket. In Texas, they're cooking brisket, beef ribs. Um, but so it's all individually specific to one location by, uh, A, what kind of woods they have, uh, B, what kind of animals are, are raised there, um, and then their sauce profile and rub profile type thing. So we opened barbecue, uh, in Blue Smoke. What we tried to want to do was pay homage to all the different regional styles um, from around the country. Now, a lot of the barbecue restaurants in New York that have followed suit are particular styles. You know, um, they're either a Texas style. Hill Country is specifically a, you know, uh, you know, Hill Country is the Hill Country from around Austin, Texas. You know, I just had some Franklin's, actually. I was down there a couple weeks ago. Nice. Nice. (laughs) Nice. And they had hot sauce. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so, uh, you know, so they do a Texas thing. And there's, you know. Uh, there's other people that do Carolina barbecue, so we mm. try and just put a little bit of the uh, a little bit of the different regional styles together in one location. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, I think we're uh, what I what I have always done is like if you know some people say it's they love blue smoke for a reason. Some people criticize me for a reason because I try and always put a little bit of a extra level of finesse in uh, with everything that surrounds the barbecue. I always have fresh fish on the menu. I always have, uh, you know, fresh vegetables on the menu. In the summertime, whenever I can, I get local uh, green market vegetables. Um, and the reason for that is 
I've always tried to kind of push things in a direction with a little bit more finesse than the rest of the barbecue joints, just so we can differentiate ourselves. Um, that sounds like more than finesse. That sounds like taking it attention to the whole menu and not just the the meat. Well, we're actually we're we are now kind of slightly shifting direction. Um, and, uh, you know, because we're, we're trying to evolve. You know, yeah. you know I, I view a restaurant uh, just like a house or a boat. Once you stop working on it is when it starts falling apart. Right. So, so how are you evolving? Where's it um, going? Just um, instead of being labeled in the barbecue joint, yeah. I'd rather be, uh, you know, a great American restaurant um, that serves great barbecue. You know, so just I'm, we're still going to. You know, th- that's a great thing because. A lot of times people will say, I want to go out for barbecue, and the other one says, no, I, I don't want to eat that. And, and so this way everybody can go out, and you can get great barbecue, but you can get great fish or and great everything else. You and it, it doesn't have to be predictable desserts. You know, the, so that that is really great. So, is so you're really distinguishing yourself. You, you're setting a new benchmark. You you, you hit it right on the head. Mm. You're, if you're from the Carolinas and you're now transplanted in in New York, and you grew up, number one, two, or three was, hey, honey, what are we having for dinner tonight? Is barbecue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or you grew up in North Carolina and your significant other, you know, grew up in San Francisco, Chicago, New York, you know, they don't want to eat barbecue all the time. (laughs) So I want to make sure I have other, you know, great, sustainable, fresh things that are, you know, nutritious and, you know, not always just laden with fat and, you know, richness, uh, you know, to offer people. And I just think it's a nice compliment. It is. So tell me about the Big Apple barbecue and how did that come about and what does it accomplish and... How do we get? How do we get online to the front of the line? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the Big Apple Barbecue is uh, it's it's a festival that uh, you know we started uh, eleven years ago. This is our eleventh year, and um, it was we quickly realized that um, New York was just such a melting pot uh, from people you know all over the world, but you know specifically all over the country from the Midwest to the whole Southern Belt. Um, And a lot of these people grew up on barbecue. And barbecue is somewhat like uh, politics or religion. That uh, if you're a hardcore Republican, you don't vote Democrat. Um, (laughs) If you're, you know, Roman Catholic, you don't go to the synagogue. You know, so if you're from uh, Kansas City, you don't understand Memphis barbecue. Mm -hmm. If you're from South Carolina, you don't understand Texas barbecue. Mm. So what we quickly realized... Being that we tried to bring all the pay homage to all the different regional styles from around the country, someone from Carolina would come up and eat eat brisket or whatever, and they're like, "That's not barbecue. That's, you don't know, guys, know what you're doing and whatnot." So, we started the uh, Big Apple Barbecue in, a, in an attempt to kind of bring all the different regional styles uh, all to one place and mm-hmm. have them right next to each other, cooking on the street. Uh, on Madison Avenue in New York City. I mean, mm-hmm. what greater stage could you have uh, to, uh, you know, to, to be able to experience um, all the, the best of the best barbecue in the regional style? How do right the people from the South feel about it? I mean, all the people that come from the barbecue states, are they the majority of people who are coming to this? Um, no, you know what? It's been universally accepted. It's just uh, become such a great event um, that... The popularity is just grown that everybody who comes to this event loves the event. And is it for charity? 
It's for a charity. The uh, the proceeds uh, benefit the Madison Square Park Conservancy, uh, where we've had the event the last nine years. Um, and uh, last year, I think we gave them about $130,000 towards the park. And the park is just a beautiful park. And mm-hmm. they have been a great partner with us uh, mm-hmm. over the last nine years. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's just been a great, uh, a great partnership with them. What's so... Unfortunately, we're going to have to end the show. I got to ask you, what's your favorite barbecue? You mean my favorite style? Style, style. Um, I'm kind of partial to um, to the Eastern North Carolina vinegar sauce. Really? It's, yeah, I just. I know you have sauces. You've made your own sauces. Are they vinegary? I have I have a Carolina style. I have a whole bag of sauces right there. I know, <laughs> I know. I'm looking at. It. <laughs> I can Okay. Um, I I have a Kansas City sauce. I have a Memphis style sauce, and then the Carolina sauce is that you know, Eastern Carolina chilies, pepper, vinegar goes great uh, and cuts through some of the richness of uh, some whole hog, pork shoulder, you name it. Wow! And so when I go to Blue Smoke, what should I order? What's your favorite thing to cook? There. Um, what's my favorite thing? Uh, we should start out with a nice dozen oysters, Woo! and then uh, and then move on to a nice plate of uh, brisket or some ribs. Brisket for me. That's, <laughs> I'm a New York girl. There you go. <laughs> okay, well, Kenny, it's been great to have you on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time to come out today, Dorothy. The pleasure has been mine. Well, thank you, and thanks to our listeners. Remember, become a member. Become a member, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.